In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 22. The outline of the chapter, from verse 1 to 6, the conspiracy to kill Jesus. Then from verse 7 to 13, preparations for the Passover. From verse 14 to 23, Jesus institutes the Eucharist. From 24 to 30, the disciples argue about greatness. From 31 to 34, Jesus predicts Peter's denial. 35 to 38, Jesus calls the disciples to readiness. From 39 to 46, the prayer in the garden. From 47 to 53, betrayal and arrest in Gethsemane. From 54 to 62, Peter denies Jesus and weeps bitterly. From 63 to 65, Jesus mocked and beaten. Then from 66 to 71, Jesus faces the Sanhedrin. Actually, we will stop at verse 23 tonight. So we speak about conspiracy to kill Jesus, preparations for the Passover, Jesus institutes the Eucharist. That's where we'll stop tonight at verse 23. So let's read from verse 1. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. This little explanation, he's explaining what is the feast of unleavened bread, which is called the Passover, shows clearly that St. Luke wrote the, his gospel mainly for the Gentiles. You know, he sent his gospel to Theophilus and also to the Gentiles. So the Gentiles do not know what the Jewish Passover was. That's why he is explaining to them, it is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called uh, Passover. What is the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Actually, this feast lasts seven days after the Passover day during which the Jews eat their bread without leaven. Why? When they left Egypt, they were, they were in hurry. So the bread actually did not have a chance to be leavened. So they took the bread without being leavened. So in commemoration of their exodus from Egypt uh, in hurry, they kept seven days to eat bread without leaven. But there is a spiritual meaning for it. Leaven symbolizes sin. As the Lord said, beware of the leaven of Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So to eat bread without leaven, it is a symbol of getting rid of sin in our life. That's why St. Paul, in his letter, said, let us celebrate the feast with, without leaven. Let us cast away the leaven of evil and malice and wickedness. The Passover, it's called Passover because the angel of the Lord passed over the houses of the Israelites that has blood on the top and on the sides. Any house has blood on it, the angel passed over this house. But the houses that did not have blood, actually the angel killed the firstborn in Egypt, every firstborn in Egypt. But the Passover also has a spiritual meaning. 
Through Jesus, our Passover lamb, we passed over death from the land of death to the land of life, from Hades to the paradise of joy. As Israel went from Egypt to the promised land. So now the time of this feast, the feast of Passover, actually drew near. And during this year, the conspiracy was formed against the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew and Mark in their Gospels were more precise and suggested that it was two days before the Passover. But Luke did not mention the time precisely, but he said when the Passover drew near. Verse 2, And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. It was a major feast, and people, all the Jews from all over the world, go to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast there. And many people actually heard Jesus and have seen Jesus before, especially in the region of Galilee, where Jesus grew up all his life. And these people actually used to go to Jerusalem during the Feast of Passover. So the people who saw Jesus and heard him they had respect to the Lord Jesus Christ and also a great expectation for Jesus and his ministry. But we can see here how the chief priests and teachers of the law did not fear God, but feared the people. They did not fear God, but they feared the people. They were not afraid to kill the Son of God. They just has to find a politically smart way to do it. There was no fear in their heart. Verse 3, Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So the scribes and Pharisees we're looking for any opportunity. And the word we're looking involves a continuous effort. <coughs> and maybe they met several times in the palace of the high priest Caiaphas. And actually, they came to three conclusions. The first conclusion they have to put Jesus to death. Number two, they have to do it as secretly as possible because they feared the people. And number three, not to do it during the feast, to avoid any chance of turmoil during the feast, especially from the people from Galilee where Jesus grew. But St. Luke explained to us that Satan entered Judas' heart. Only St. Luke mentioned this. Mark did not mention it. Matthew did not mention it. So now he is describing for us the origin of the guilt of Judas. Because Satan entered his heart. Satan filled his mind with an evil passion and led him on to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. Not because Satan entered his heart, this may diminish the responsibility of Judas, because none of this was done against the will of Judas, but with his own will. Satan only plant an idea in our mind, propose an idea, but you have the free will to accept it 
or to reject it. And many people actually wondered about the motives of Judas. Because Judas lived three years with the Lord Jesus Christ. Judas performed miracles. Judas uh, cast out demons. So how come Judas betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ? And some people actually suggested that he might have had a noble motive. Maybe he he wanted to put Jesus in these circumstances where Jesus would show himself as a Messiah when he delivered himself. But the Bible indicates no such good intention because this was from Satan. Others suggested that Judas, because of the love of money, and he knew how the Lord Jesus Christ delivered himself several times from the hand of his enemies. So Judas said, if I betrayed Jesus and delivered Jesus in their hand, I will get the money. Then Jesus will deliver himself from their hands. So it will be win-win situation. I got the money and Jesus, nothing happened to him. And maybe if this explanation is true, this can explain to us when they arrested the Lord Jesus Christ and condemned him to death, Jesus, uh, Judas started to feel guilty because he did not expect this to happen. He expected that Jesus would deliver himself. But from the Gospel of John, chapter 12 and verse 6, we know that Judas, who was treasurer to our Lord and his disciples, was also a thief. So there was no good intention here. And frequently he stole portion from the money was given to him and was in the treasury box. Why Luke mentioned that his surname is Iscariot? To differentiate him from another Judas, the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the author of the Catholic letter named after St. Jude. Some also suggest that maybe Judas from the beginning followed the Lord Jesus Christ from selfish motives, expecting that Jesus will be an earthly king, and thus he will receive a position of great status and prestige when Jesus entered Jerusalem as a Messiah and then he established his earthly kingdom. But when Jesus came and entered Jerusalem, and it was evident that he was not going to be the earthly Messiah that Judas was hoping for, maybe Judas became angry with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he opened the door to Satan to uh, enter his heart. Then he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ out of malice. Jesus did not give Judas what his selfish heart wanted, a prestigious position in an earthly kingdom. So Judas felt his ties to Jesus Jesus was broken. That's why it was easy for him to betray the Lord. Also, St. Luke mentioned Judas was one of the twelve. This greatly intensified and worsened his crime because the Lord was betrayed by one of the very, very closest people to him. Judas should have been bound by most tender ties to Jesus. He was one of the very inner circle around the Lord Jesus Christ. He was one of his family and was treated by the Lord with kindness and confidence. He actually trusted him to be the treasurer and nothing could more add to his guilt than taking advantage of this confidence to commit such disgraceful crime.
And apparently Judas met with the priests and high priests in two occasions. One occasion to bargain what was proposed and the other occasion to complete the deal, to get the money and to discuss with them how he would deliver Jesus. Verse 4, So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And in response to this, verse 5, And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So they were glad and delighted because of this spontaneous offer. Give me money and I will betray, deliver him to you. And this offer came from one of the immediate followers of Jesus. So this solved all the difficulties. He knew very well the places where Jesus goes and now he can betray him easily. And actually, how much money they give him, this was relatively very small. Matthew mentioned 30 pieces of silver, and this amount was the common price of the meanest slave, as we read in Exodus chapter 21, verse 32. Verse 6, So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him, to betray Jesus to them, in the absence of the multitude. So they sought to take him when he was away from the multitude, and Judas knew a place where he could be found alone, nobody around him. And they were glad of the opportunity because Judas easily secured this opportunity for them. But we can see here how God used the wicked works of Judas to further his eternal plan. This was the appointed time before the creation of the world for our Lord Jesus Christ to go to the cross. Verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. Actually, this is one of the most difficult questions. Whether the Passover day was on Thursday or on Friday. And the scholars disagreed in defining the Jewish Passover time. Was it on Thursday when the Lord gave his body and blood in form of bread and wine to uh, his disciples. And this was like uh, a symbolism of the absolute fulfillment of the Passover. Or did the Lord actually offer himself on Friday, the, exactly at the same time when they were killing the Jewish Passover? And there are more than 30 different explanations whether the Passover was Thursday or Friday. Those who support Thursday, there is a problem. Because when Jesus gave them the bread that became his body, he used leaven the bread. And according to the rule, of the Passover, they shouldn't have any leaven. But if we said, and also there is another problem in uh, in the Gospel of John, they spoke about Friday. Clearly, it is the day of the Passover. That's why the people refused to enter the palace, lest 
they be defiled, then they cannot eat the Passover. Also, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's very clear that the Passover lamb was killed and was eaten on Thursday. So how can we solve this problem? As I told you, there are more than 30 different solutions to this problem. But I will explain to you the most acceptable one to our church. As you know, the Jewish calendar is a lunar calendar. So they determine the first day of the month by the appearance of the crescent of the moon. It's like the Hegri calendar. And I'm sure you are familiar how in the feasts of the Muslims, some people say the feast or Ramadan, for example, start on Wednesday. But in other country, they say we did not see the moon. So Ramadan will start on Thursday. The same problem actually happened in the year of the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Jews were different sects. So some people actually said the 14th of the day, 14th day of the month, was Thursday. But other group said, no, the 14th day of the month is Friday. So the Lord actually offered the Passover and he gave his body and his blood on Thursday with the group that celebrated the Passover on Thursday. But because there is another group were celebrating on Friday, then he didn't have to remove all the leaven. That's why he used leavened bread to offer his body and blood in the form of bread and wine. And the beautiful thing that people who killed the Passover lamb on Thursday, in the same time Jesus gave them his body and his blood. And the people who offered the Passover lamb on Friday, Jesus in the same time, he was crucified on the cross. So as I told you, some groups say it's Thursday, some groups say it's Friday, but each group has their evidence to confirm their point of view. But Regardless of these 30 different explanations, as I told you, what concerns us is that the Jewish Passover was fulfilled and perfected by the Passover of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whether they practice their ritual on Covenant Thursday or on Good Friday, the Passover lamb was fulfilled in the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and when St. Luke said, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed, some think that these words confirm that the Last Supper was made on the Passover day and that the Lord Jesus Christ offered his body and his blood after the symbolic lamb has been killed. So he fulfilled the symbol by eating the Passover lamb with the disciples. That's what we call the Last Supper. Then he gave them his body and his blood. That's what we call it mystical supper. Last Supper, Al-Asha Al-Akhir. Mystical Supper, Al-Asha Al-Sirri. Mystical Supper refers to the body and blood. Last Supper refers to the Passover lamb. Others think that according to the Jewish ritual, they were preparing for the feast on the day before, when the Jews cleaned the house 
and search it more than once in their rooms, lest there be any living found, and thus be counted as breakers of the law if there is any living in the house, and their Passover would not be accepted. The other group, those who believe that Passover was on Friday, not on Thursday. So, it is as if the Lord has assembled with his disciples on the day before the killing of the Lamb as preparation for the Passover. Again, this is the opinion of those who says the Passover Lamb was killed on Friday. But instead of searching the rooms, he offered the spiritual Passover that was not of any material. The spiritual Passover was his body and his blood. The Passover and the week-long celebration of unleavened bread are listed as two separate feasts in the Old Testament. If you study the Old Testament, Passover is considered one feast and the unleavened bread considered another feast. Total eight days, the Passover day one day and then seven days for unleavened bread. And the unleavened bread is listed as the pilgrim feast. Those who came from outside Jerusalem, they celebrate the unleavened bread. However, in the time of our Lord Jesus Christ, the two feasts, the names of the two feasts were used interchangeably to refer to the eight days. So when they say the Passover, they refer to the Passover and the seven days of unleavened bread. Or if they say the unleavened bread, they refer to the Passover and the seven days of the unleavened bread. Josephus, the historian, Jewish historian, recorded that in his time, first century, the term Passover came to mean the celebration of both feasts together as one festival. Also, St. John in his Gospel referred to the two feasts as Passover. But St. Luke, since he was writing for the Gentiles, he added explanatory note on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. That's why he said, then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover uh, must be killed. So he explained this to the Gentiles who did not know the Jewish ritual. Verse 8, And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. Mark told us that he sent two disciples. But Luke mentioned the name of these two disciples, Peter and John, John son of Zebedee. It was the practice of the residents of Jerusalem to generously open their homes to the Jews coming from outside Jerusalem. Because I told you, Jews come from all over the world to celebrate the feast in Jerusalem. So they used to host these pilgrims during this feast and provide rooms for the sacred meal of the Passover. And according to the Old Testament, this meal had to be eaten within the walls of the holy city, not outside Jerusalem, but within the walls of the holy city on the night after the Passover sacrifice. Verse 9, Peter and John asked, so they said to him, where do you want us to prepare? Verse 10, and he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you, carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Uh, the Lord did not specify the name of the owner. But according to the holy tradition of the church, 
It is the house of Mary, the mother of St. Mark the Apostle. Father Siophilact and others think that the name of Mark was omitted. Why? Lest the place of meeting should be prematurely known to Judas. And Judas will notify the high priest so they may arrest the Lord Jesus Christ before he gave his body and his blood. Jesus did not want Judas to betray him before he could give a final talk to the disciples and offer the, his body and the blood. And he gave them a sign, a man carrying a jar of water. This sign uh, helped them to know the house and to know the owner of the house. St. Cyril of Alexandria and St. Abrose said the pitcher of water is a, is a symbol of baptism. We are not allowed to be blessed with the mystery of Eucharist unless we first encounter the mystery of baptism. That's what St. Cyril of Alexandria and St. Ambrose said. Uh, verse 11 Then you shall say to the master of the house The teacher says to you Where is the guest room Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples Then he will show you a large furnished upper room There make ready So the house of Mary mother of Mark was possessed with a large upper chamber and uh, it was of a considerable size to host the Lord and the 12 disciples and to eat the Passover. And it is clearly uh, uh, known that this room was prepared beforehand for the purpose of the feast. Maybe the Lord gave some direction to Mark uh, or to Mary beforehand that Jesus and the disciples would eat the Passover in their house. Verse 13, So they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. So they met the man with the pitcher of water, and by following him found the house that the Lord meant to keep the Passover at. And they told the owner of the house what Christ ordered them, and the owner of the house immediately showed them a very convenient room, as the Lord described it to them. They discovered that an upper room had already been arranged with the dinner and feast tables and the couches for reclining at the meal. Verse 14. When the hour had come, the hour of eating the Passover lamb, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. The other Gospels, like Matthew and Mark, mentioned at evening, but Luke said when the hour had come. So, the hour referring to the appointed time. According to the law of Moses, they used to eat the Passover while they were standing because they were in hurry to leave uh, uh, Egypt to fly to, to the wilderness of Sinai and then to the promised land. Uh, and Standing reminded them of being released from the bondage that their fathers experienced in Egypt. Why? The slave did not have any right to sit down in the presence of his master, has to stand and serve them. So standing while eating the Passover reminded them of their slavery in Egypt. But when the Lord offered us his new Passover, he sat, he reclined, and the apostles with him 
to declare our liberty, our freedom, that he transferred us to the state of glory. He came to deliver them and us and to die on our behalf. So they sat as his children and not as slaves. Then the Lord said to them, verse 15, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So he had been longing with an intense desire to keep this last Passover with them. First, why he had this desire? As a dear human friend who spent three years with them. So he wanted to make this Passover as his significant and last farewell to them. But as God, secondly, as the divine master, he wants to gather up all of them into the final discourse, his final speech before he went to Gethsemane and to give them also his body and his blood. This final uh, discourse, which actually is the most important discourse and the deepest teaching about the Holy Spirit, you can read it in the Gospel of John from chapter 13 to chapter 17. Also, he wished to take this opportunity to prepare them for his suffering. Uh, and to impress, to emphasize the certainty that he is about to leave them and they should be ready for this moment. Also, why he desired to eat this Passover with them? Because he purposed on this significant occasion transforming this feastal gathering of the ancient people in which they commemorated their exodus and great deliverance from Egypt, he want actually to celebrate a greater deliverance, not from Egypt, but from the kingdom of Satan, deliverance from kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of Christ, from Hades to the paradise of joy. Now the Lord, he came to the central reason why he came to man, why he was incarnate and became man, to institute a new covenant with us based on his own sacrifice. New covenant based with his blood. Take drink, this is my blood of the new covenant. Verse 16, for I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. The Passover feast, the Jewish Passover feast, now it ended. And since the destruction of the temple till now, from 70 AD till now, they did not celebrate this feast anymore. The Passover was a symbol, was a type. And it was fulfilled by the death of Christ because killing the Passover lamb symbolizes sacrificing and slaying our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And by the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven will be established among us. So the kingdom of Christ is started on the day of crucifixion. That's why the Lord said, I will never eat more of it in this ceremonial way in this Jewish tradition because it is already fulfilled. Passover lamb was a symbol of Christ and Christ is the anti-type. He is the fulfillment 
He is the sum and essence of the shadow and fulfilling the meaning of the Passover lamb. Now the Passover lamb had its accomplishment in the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, it will be fulfilled in the kingdom of heaven or eternal glory when there will be a perfect deliverance of all of us who will go to heaven from sin, from Satan, from the world. As with the Passover lamb, they were delivered from Egypt to the promised land. Again, the final fulfillment of the Passover lamb, when all of us will go to heaven, where there is no sin, no Satan, and no love of the world. And since that day, Covenant Thursday, we celebrate the Holy Eucharist since that day until now and until the second coming of Christ. So the deliverance of the Israelites out of Egypt was typical of, as commemorated in the Passover, and in this celebration, they used to sing the Song of Moses in Exodus chapter 15, after they crossed the Red Sea. And by the way, this is the first host in the Midnight Praises. Uh, then Christ and his followers will eat and drink the body and blood in the kingdom, in the kingdom of Christ. And we spend the endless eternity in never-fading joy. After Abuna takes communion, he prays and says, Our mouth is filled with joy and our tongue with gladness. So, until the true Passover was offered on the cross, the new kingdom established then with offering himself on the cross. Verse 17. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. St. Luke mentioned two cups. This cup in verse 17 is not the blood of Jesus. It's not the sacramental cup. Because it was the other one was taken after supper. But this was one of the cups which were usually taken during the celebration of the Passover. And the Lord uh, kept the ritual of Passover lamb as the Jews used to celebrate it. So nobody can accuse the Lord Jesus Christ that he broke the law of Moses. Verse 18, For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So, again, this is emphasis on what we just read in verse 16, that the Lord will not celebrate this ceremony anymore because the kingdom of God established. Uh, verse 19, And he took bread. That's the beginning of the mystical supper. That's the beginning of the Eucharist. So this cup that we mentioned is not part of the Eucharist. And he took bread, before I read this, some people say, if the Lord took uh, uh, the Eucharist after they had eaten the Passover, why we fast before communion? We can take communion after we eat as the Lord did. But the Passover lamb was not a regular meal. It was a religious meal. So, a religious meal does not break the fast. So, you cannot use this argument to justify that you can eat 
and then you can take communion. Verse 19, and he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them. By the word, took bread, that's the offering of lamb. Give thanks, that's thanksgiving prayer. Broke it, that's a fraction. Give it, that's a communion. So in the divine liturgy, we follow the same steps that the Lord used on Covenant Thursday. And give it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the supper after the cup after supper. After supper. Which supper? The Passover lamb. Saying, this cup is the new covenant. He established a new covenant. In my blood, usually covenant established with blood. Now with the blood of Jesus, which is shed for you. So the word after supper means he had kept this, the, the Passover lamb, he celebrated in the usual manner. So, uh, after he finished the Passover lamb, he established the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper. So I want to differentiate. When we, use, we say the Last Supper, that's referring to the Passover lamb. But when we say the Mystical Supper or the Lord's Supper, this is refer, referring to the Eucharist. After he finished the Passover, the Zalassama, after supper, immediately he gave them the body and blood, as we read right now. So he instituted the supper that bears his name, the Lord's Supper, using bread and wine, which had been prepared for the Passover. And thus, but he used leavened bread because the Greek word artos means leavened bread. Why leavened bread? Leaven symbolizes sin because he carried our sin in his body. He is the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the whole world. That's why he offered the body, his body, and leavened bread. That's why we do the korban and leavened bread. Uh, and thus engrafted the Lord's Supper on the Passover, or replaced the Passover by another ordinance, the Eucharist, which was intended to be continuous and everlasting until his second coming. St. Luke is the only gospel who mentions the two cups, the cup of the Passover lamb, the meal, and the cup of Eucharist. And when he said, until the kingdom of God comes, mean this Passover lamb will be my last and will be also your last. Because the disciples did not celebrate Passover again after this day. Uh, in Matthew, it's mentioned not only until the kingdom of God come, but it mentioned until that day when I shall drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Uh, so it was a point of transition between two economies, two covenant, old covenant and new covenant, and these two great festivals, one about to be closed forever, the Passover lamb, uh, according to the Jewish uh, tradition, and the other immediately to open and will continue until from the earth it will be transferred to heaven, but in heaven it will be the joy of being delivered from Satan, sin, and the world. The Lord Jesus Christ did not give the normal explanation of the meaning of each of the foods as the Jews usually did when they eat the Passover lamb. But he reinterpreted them in himself because the focus was no longer on the suffering of Israel in Egypt, but now on the suffering of his people who are bearing sin 
and the suffering of Jesus himself who carried our sins on our behalf. That's why he said, take it, this is my body, which is broken for you and for many, to be given for the remission of sins. Take drink, this is my blood of the new covenant, which will be shed for you and for many, given for remission of sins. Uh, so these words from the Lord Jesus Christ have been the source of great theological controversy among Christians. Because until the 16th century, all the world, East and West, believed this is real body and real blood. Until Martin Luther came and he started to challenge uh, that it is real body and real blood, and then all the Protestants like Calvin and Swingley, they said, it is just a symbol. But we saw how saints gone gladly to prison and to death, rather than renouncing what they believed, that this is the true body and true blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. St. Ignatius said, the Eucharist is the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, who suffered for our sins and who was raised by God the Father. St. Cyril of Alexandria, confirming his faith that this is his true body and true blood by saying, don't doubt that this is true. For he, Jesus, said clearly, this is my body. Receive the words of your Savior in faith, for he, Jesus, is the truth who does not lie. And it's very interesting in the story of Martin Luther, when you read it, before his death, you know, Luther was a Catholic monk, so he asked for communion. So the people asked him, do you believe that it is the body of the Lord? So Luther said, if Jesus said, this is my body, and this is my blood, then indeed it is his body and his blood. So after all the confusion that he made, at the moment of his death, he confessed the reality of the change from bread to body and from wine to blood. The Lord Jesus offered his true sacrifice. What is the word remembrance? Because all the confusion regarding the, when the Lord said, do this in remembrance of me. The word remembrance in Greek is anamnesis. And anamnesis in Greek doesn't mean recalling of a certain manner, a certain matter, I recall it. But it means reliving, repetition of the same invitation and the same representation in an active way. So you go beyond the time and the space to relive the same moment. So in Eucharist, in the Divine Liturgy, we go beyond the time and space to be united with the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, with his body and his blood. As Abuna says in the confession, I truly, I believe this is the body that he took from St. Mary. This is the blood that he shed on the blood. So anamnesis here means the remembrance or reliving, reunited with the crucified and risen Christ from the dead. So when we say anamnesis, we don't remember his sacrifice as something happened in the past but something that we are living right now. He is offering his real sacrifice that's present and active. Uh, and that's why the Lord was able to give his body and his blood on Thursday before offering his body on Friday. Because the Eucharist is above and beyond the boundaries of time and space. If the Eucharist is under the boundaries of time and place, he wouldn't be able to give his body on Thursday. But the Eucharist, because it is the body and blood of Jesus, so, and Jesus is timeless, he's God, 
So he was able to give his body on Thursday before actual crucifixion on Friday. That's why in every divine liturgy, we go beyond the boundaries of time and place to be reliving the same moment of the Eucharist and the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in offering himself, his body, his blood, his soul, dying on the cross in the upper room, uh, dying on the cross on Friday and giving the Eucharist on, in the upper room on Thursday. Jesus, on Thursday, he began his steps, his walk to the cross that night, when he gave the first Eucharist ever. We read in John chapter 6 that the Lord spoke and said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. And they heard this uh, speech after he fed the multitude from the five loaves and two fish. Now, on covenant Thursday, he fulfilled what he promised, that he is the bread of life that came down from heaven. John did not mention the details of the Eucharist on Covenant Thursday. Why? Because he was the latest of the four Gospels. So he found Matthew, Mark, and Luke mentioned the details. So he did not mention the details of it at great length, like Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But John actually explained in detail what the Lord said about Eucharist in John chapter 6, Matthew, Mark, and Luke did not mention anything about this speech. Only John mentioned Also, John mentioned the speech, the last discourse to the disciples about the Holy Spirit from John 13 to 17 and his last prayer, which none of the other uh, uh, evangelists wrote it in their Gospels. Uh, also, why he did not mention the day of the Eucharist? Because by the time he wrote his Gospel, this sacrament had been part of the settled experience of the Church. Everybody is practicing it. So, he, he doesn't want to explain it to them. It, it became part of the ordinary life of the church. But as I told you in John chapter 6, he gave us a record of the Lord's discourse on the Eucharist in John chapter 6. And there are some important verses from John 6. I will read quickly. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh which I shall give for the life of the world. Verse 53, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. I want you to emphasize there are two actions here, eating and drinking, not one action. And the Lord, when he gave, he gave his body and his blood separate. Why? Because his blood is shed you cannot give them together. The separation of the flesh of the Son of Man into flesh and blood, as we read in John chapter 6, verse 53, uh, presuppose a violent death submitted, uh, the Lord submitted to for our sake. And in this violent death, his blood was shed completely. In verse in John chapter 6, 53 to 56, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed. I wonder how the Protestant read these verses and don't believe in the Eucharist. My flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I him. Again, two different acts, eating and drinking. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Both these elements, flesh and blood, must be taken separately 
by the believer, as it's clear from John 6, 56. Uh, the truth which he taught in this discourse in John chapter 6 now is presented in a specific act and in concrete form on Covenant Thursday and in communion until today. Verse 21. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. So now the Lord made a startling announcement that he will be betrayed by one of his own disciples, by one of the twelve. But he said after this, verse 22, and truly the Son of Man, Jesus, goes at it has been determined. So it's determined by God. Whether Judas betray him or not, it will happen. So Judas did not facilitate it's determined already. That's why woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So the Lord will be betrayed by one of the twelve and this will happen according to the will of God. It's determined. Uh, the account of St. Luke about this is actually the shortest. St. John, when he spoke about the betrayal, that's actually was the fullest in, in the Gospel of John. St. Luke placing the mention of the betrayal after the institution of the sacrament of the Eucharist, while Mark and Matthew placed it before the Eucharist. That's why, again, there is this agreement. Whether Judas ate the Eucharist, partook, partook from the Eucharist or not. People who followed Matthew and Mark said, no, he did not, because Matthew and Mark mentioned the betrayal before the Eucharist. But Luke mentioned the betrayal after the Eucharist. So people, people who follow Luke, they say Judas took from the Eucharist. St. John in his Gospel did not mention the institution and left this question open. And actually by studying early church fathers, you will find split among them. Some said he took communion, and some said no, he did not take communion. So there is no consensus and for us, it is not a theological uh, point whether he took communion or he doesn't take communion. Uh, Pope Shenouda was supporting the opinion that he did not take communion. That's why all the icons that were uh, uh, written during the time of his holiness, Pope Shenouda, you will not find Judas in the icon of the Eucharist. So scholars and early church father divided on matter of Judas partaking of the Holy Communion. Uh, but in, the, in Psalm 41, verse 9, there was a prophecy that the Messiah should be betrayed. He who eats my bread will uh, lift his uh, foot against me. But the Lord said, Woe to that man who actually betrayed the Messiah. Some people say Judas has no guilt because without Judas, how the betrayal and the crucifixion would happen. No. The Lord said, The Son of Man will go as it is determined. Whether Judas betrayed or not, the economy of God will be fulfilled. That's why woe to that man who actually betrayed the Messiah. Judas could never claim that he helped Jesus by fulfilling the prophecy. He cannot claim this. He was and is fully accountable for his sin before God. But if he repented, God would forgive him. But he did not repent. And St. John Chrysostom think that the Master has offered the betrayer every possibility for repentance. He warned him. He said, woe to this man. So it was opportunity for him to repent. But Judas did not wish to repent. The last verse in our Bible study tonight, verse 23, then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. So when the Lord said 
that one of them would betray him, all began to ask him, is it I? Uh, it's clear that no one suspected Judas. But although they knew how much they loved the Lord Jesus Christ, but they were more confident in his word than their confidence in themselves. That's why they said, is it I? They know they are weak. So they doubted even their own intention. And they asked the Lord, is it I? This is why each one of them feared lest he be the one meant. For they all knew how weak they were and how subjected they were to fall. They were subjected to fall. This concludes our Bible study from the Gospel of John, Luke chapter 22. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.